Hello and welcome to PediaPod for September 2018. This month we meet an early career investigator, Dr. Brian Stansfield, and hear about his work on growth restriction and heart development. The relationship between birth weight and heart disease has been well documented over the past four decades and is thought to arise from altered developmental trajectories leading to persistent deficits in organ structure and function. Most animal studies looking at the effects of adverse in utero environments have been studied in the context of fetal hypoxia. Less is known regarding the cardiac consequences of maternal malnutrition, a common cause of fetal growth restriction. In a recent paper, Dr. Stansfield from Augusta University, Georgia in the US, along with his colleagues, employed a new guinea pig model thought to be more comparable to human gestation to test the effects of global maternal nutrient restriction spanning pre-gestation, gestation and lactation. They show that fetal growth restriction influences cardiomyocyte development during critical windows of development, leading to a permanent deficiency in their numbers, as well as exaggerated hypertrophy and disorganised architecture. Here's Brian. I obtained my medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta University in 2004 and then proceeded to pursue residency here locally at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Upon completion of my pediatric residency, I then pursued uh, fellowship training in neonatal perinatal medicine at Indiana University up in Indianapolis. I was also encouraged at that time to pursue additional training through the Pediatric Scientist Development Program. So I've had two years of dedicated, isolated research training there in my mentor's laboratory. After completing those additional two years at IU, um, I started looking for early faculty positions. I ended up here, Augusta University, 2013, and uh, they have a world-class cardiovascular sciences group. With that, we've embarked on, you know, a variety of different research avenues very closely related to neonatology and uh, development. Part of what this paper bore out of was just a real interest in how the early life derangements can impact our lifelong cardiovascular health. And we've been interested in this from both the modeling it in animals, but also uh, starting to branch out into human studies. We've known there's a link between early nutrition and cardiovascular health since the 80s, haven't we, with those historical cohort studies? That's exactly right. A lot of those studies in the UK started to branch out and say that infants who survived some of the famines in the early 20th century were at higher risk for cardiovascular mortality. And since then, there's been a whole paradigm that's been laid to support those observations. So specifically what you're looking at is the effect that fetal growth restriction caused by maternal nutrient restriction has on an offspring's cardiovascular health. Right. And so we're particularly interested in fetal growth restriction, but obviously that human disease occurs from a whole variety of different ontologies, right? So the different triggers for fetal growth restriction are so variable that we felt like maternal nutrient restriction allowed us to parse out the contributions of fetal growth restriction that's chronic and not the result of any acute event or organic from the fetus itself. So the idea was to restrict the calorie intake of the mothers and then to evaluate the hearts of the offspring at different stages of development right through to guinea pig adulthood. That's exactly right. So this model 
attempts to introduce early maternal nutrient restriction so that we can affect the fetus for a long chronic period, so that we can really replicate long-standing maternal nutrient restriction. We also get uh, a long-standing fetal growth restriction as opposed to something that's mid-gestation or late gestation. So by and large, the maternal nutrient restriction sort of worked and you had a set of pups that had fetal growth restriction. Was that reflected in their heart's development as well? Yeah, so we know that in humans, fetal growth restriction, even long-standing fetal growth restriction, often preserves head mass or brain weight. We saw this actually play out in the fetal growth restriction group, that their brain weight to total body weight ratio was actually increased compared to the controls at the fetal stage. Um, Similarly, the heart weights uh, relative to the total body weight were similar between the two cohorts. But as we quickly moved into uh, examining the neonatal group, which was about 28 days postpartum, now we started to see that the heart weights of the MNR-FGR group started to be diminished compared to the control groups in respect to total body weight. When you looked a bit deeper at these hearts at the different stages of development, what did the histology tell you, for example? When you see a smaller heart, you might expect that, well, there's probably less numbers of cells, and certainly we saw that. The numbers of cardiomyocytes in the fetal and neonatal stages of the MNR-FGR group were reduced. What was most striking was the comparisons between the two cohorts when we looked at proliferative cells and apoptotic cells. So when we looked at proliferative cells, we saw a massive increase in the number of proliferating cardiomyocytes at the fetal stage compared to the control cohort. These cells, even though there are less numbers of them and the hearts themselves are smaller in size, they are trying to undergo proliferation, we think, in order to reobtain some of that growth potential. The differences between the fetal groups is basically a non-existent apoptotic phenotype to a marked apoptotic phenotype. And then we see an exact reversal when we move to the neonatal phase where we see apoptosis really subsiding in the MNR-FGR group. And apoptosis becomes a relatively rare event in these hearts, whereas it's a pretty substantial event in the control group. You've really shifted what should be this normal development occurring postnatally and shifted it back to where it's occurring uh, in the fetal stage. Why do you think this apoptosis pruning is happening so much earlier in the growth-restricted group? Uh, Well, that's a great question that I don't know that I have a complete answer on. Cardiomyocyte pruning occurs from a host of different inputs, but the inputs into what turns it on and turns it off are not fully teased out. Now, if you look at some of our proteomics data, you start to get a a picture of why this might occur in the guinea pig model, where a lot of the derangements really seem to coalesce into uh, amplifying PARP1 expression. And uh, PARP1 is uh, an important protein. One of its most important roles is in uh, repairing DNA breaks. And so it could be that the stress of fetal growth restriction caused by maternal nutrient restriction changes the way that these cardiomyocytes are are repairing DNA breaks and that if the stress of those inputs um, causes a derangement in what otherwise would be normal DNA strand breaks now are causing an upregulation of this pathway so much so that it, it may be changing the overall phenotype of the cardiomyocytes but also the number of the cardiomyocytes.
all of these changes that you've been describing, they're permanent, aren't they? Well, they seem to be permanent. That's why I say that even though we looked at these proteomic data, we looked at uh, histology, and we see that, you know, as an example, protein that PARP1 is upregulated, and you would think on the surface that that would help, and it probably does help to regenerate some of these, these lost cardiomyocytes. The, the problem is that they're just over time not able to keep up. And so when we look at the adult animals, you see a, a very similar phenotype to what we saw in the fetal and neonatal groups where there's smaller parts to total body weights. And this is in spite of the fact that the fetal growth restriction guinea pigs actually meet their full genetic potential from a growth standpoint. These animals were nearly identical in adult weights, but their heart weights were reduced uh, comparatively. Uh, we continue to see a reduction in the number of cardiomyocytes. We now, as a second compensatory mechanism, identify that these uh, cardiomyocytes are larger, that they're hypertrophic relative to the controls. So, you know, when, when the heart can't regenerate numbers of cells, it starts to change the phenotype of those cells so that they can compensate to the, to the load that, that is uh, witnessed by the heart over the maturation period uh, postnatally. Do you think that these results have any implications for our species? I think the the big take home and the thing that I've really been emphasizing is that we have got to recognize and we've got to train our, our colleagues that are taking care of adolescents and adults that being born either prematurely or small for gestational age is a risk factor for cardiovascular health and that if we don't ask those questions and we don't recognize that there is a long-standing risk factor that, that may subtly get missed because as, as seen in these adult guinea pigs, most premature infants and most growth-restricted infants eventually achieve whatever their, their adult uh, potential was going to be, their growth potential. And so from the outside, they look very similar, but yet their path to that place is, is markedly different. We're now very aware that... Uh, your risk factors don't begin at 18 years old, but that your risk factors exist long before you're even born. That was Dr. Brian Stansfield from Augusta University in Georgia, US. And that's all we've got time for this month. Join us next time for another edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. Listener.